The Ukraine Defense Contact Group wrapped up their meeting. Western military leaders vowed more support for Ukraine was on the way, promising more munitions for Ukraine's ground-based air defenses and a new plan to train Ukraine on F-16 fighter jets. Plus, a hospital destroyed in Dnipro. For the moment, we know about at least uh, 30 people injured. Some of them uh, are in serious condition. Uh, two people were confirmed uh, killed. And later in the program, Senator Lindsey Graham visits Kyiv, and artists are turning ammo boxes into works of art. Today is Friday, May 26th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Steve Karish in Washington. Starting us off with some diplomatic news. Chinese Special Envoy for Eurasian Affairs Li Hui and Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov met in Moscow on Friday as Beijing heads a diplomatic effort for a peace deal in Ukraine. Li arrived in Moscow on the final stop of a diplomatic tour that started in Kyiv and has taken him to Warsaw, Paris and Berlin. China has urged both sides to agree to a gradual de-escalation leading to a comprehensive ceasefire. Ukraine says it will only consider peace settlements after Russian troops leave Ukrainian territory. Ukrainian leaders say they took issue with the plan for not stating that Russia should withdraw behind its 1991 borders, though they later said they were open to some parts of the plan. The U.S. has said that China presents itself publicly as neutral and seeking peace, while at the same time reflecting Russia's false narrative about the war, providing it with non-lethal assistance, and even considering lethal assistance as well. China denies that. U.S. defense leaders are emphasizing they will continue to support Ukraine for as long as it takes to defend itself against Russia, in a war they emphasize Kyiv is not losing and that Moscow cannot win. VOA's chief national correspondent Steve Herman in Washington reports that those leaders are also emphasizing the U.S. is not looking to enter into direct conflict with Russia. At a news conference on Thursday following a virtual meeting of dozens of countries supporting Ukraine militarily, the U.S. Defense Secretary and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff told reporters that F-16 fighter jets that some nations are to supply to the Ukrainians will not be a magic weapon to quickly turn the tide of the war. The Joint Chiefs Chairman, General Mark Milley, noted Ukraine's strategic objectives are focused on the ground, ridding the territory of about 200,000 Russian troops, something not quickly achievable militarily. That means fighting is going to continue, it's going to be bloody, it's going to be hard. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin responded to concerns that U.S.-made military vehicles, reportedly used by a militia in its incursion into Russia, could be used as a pretext by Moscow to bring the United States directly into the war. We are not at war with Russia. This is, this is Ukraine's fight. Our goal is to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to make sure uh, Ukraine is successful. Milley said such U.S. assistance will continue, not only to help counter Russia's unprovoked aggression, but to uphold the principles of democracy, sovereignty, and the international rule of law. Steve Herman, VOA News, Washington. 
And on the subject of defense, the Ukraine Defense Contact Group, comprised of military leaders from about 50 nations, met on Thursday to discuss what Kyiv needs to counter Russian invaders, along with plans for Ukrainians to train on and acquire F-16 fighter jets. U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin hosted the virtual meeting from the Pentagon. VOA's Pentagon correspondent Carla Babb has the details. As Russia's invasion of Ukraine enters its 16th month, Western military leaders vowed more support for Ukraine was on the way, promising more munitions for Ukraine's ground-based air defenses and a new plan to train Ukraine on F-16 fighter jets, an expensive international effort that will be led by Denmark and the Netherlands. U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. This costs money, and, and not every country has... Uh, F-16s or is, is able to uh, chime in uh, uh, in terms of training or maintenance and sustainment, but they can provide monetary assistance. The top U.S. military officer, General Mark Milley, tried to temper expectations amid the excitement surrounding the F-16 announcement. There are no magic weapons. An F-16 is not, neither is anything else. Ten F-16s is a billion dollars. You add the sustainment cost, another billion dollars. So you're talking about two billion dollars for ten aircraft. Uh, the Russians have a thousand. Uh, fourth and fifth generation fighters. In total, the Ukraine Defense Contact Group has committed about $65 billion in security assistance for Ukraine since the start of the war. And officials made clear they want those weapons to change the dynamics on the battlefield, not to attack Russian territory. The top U.S. military officer, General Mark Milley. We have asked the Ukrainians not to use U.S. supplied equipment for direct attacks into Russia. Why is that? Because we don't want, uh, this, this is a Ukrainian war. It is not a war between the United States and Russia. It's not a war between NATO and Russia. Russian officials have said F-16s would raise the question of NATO involvement and the risk of nuclear apocalypse. It also said a cross-border raid into Russian territory this week used U.S.-supplied weapons, a claim the Pentagon says it is looking into. Anti-Kremlin Russian paramilitary groups claimed responsibility, and Ukraine has denied involvement in the attacks. Carla Babb, VOA News, the Pentagon. The White House said Thursday that it has seen reports that Russia has moved forward with their plans to deploy tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus, but Washington has seen no reason to adjust its nuclear posture. White House spokesperson Karine Jean-Pierre. So look, we've seen the reports of Russia-Belarus arrangement and we'll continue to monitor uh, uh, certainly the implications here. Uh, we have not seen any reason to adjust our own nuclear posture. You've heard us say that before, nor any indications uh, Russia is preparing to use nuclear weapons for Belarus. Uh, speaking uh, for, uh, to that particular uh, issue, this is yet another example uh, of uh, making irresponsible and provocative choices. So we remain committed to uh, collective defense of the NATO alliance. And I'll just leave it there. Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko said the warheads were already on the move, though there is no confirmation from Russian authorities. If accurate, it would mark the Kremlin's first deployment of such bombs outside Russia since the 1991 fall of the Soviet Union. Russian President Vladimir Putin maintains that the United States and its allies are fighting an escalating proxy war against Russia after Russia sent troops into Ukraine of February last year. 
The plan for the nuclear deployment in Belarus was announced by Putin in an interview on state TV on March 25th. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Steve Karish. Senator Lindsey Graham visits Kyiv and a hospital is destroyed in early morning shelling. Anna Chernikova in Kyiv gets us caught up. Actually, it was uh, quite a quite a huge attack uh, over the night uh, across Ukraine and Kyiv particularly as well. But uh, in the morning, another attack happened, uh, and uh, the main target was Dnipro this time. And uh, as uh, as you correctly said, it was. Uh, uh, it, it was a really bad attack on Dnipro this time. Uh, so what we have for the moment that um, uh, the missile uh, hit uh, a hospital in Dnipro as well as a veterinary hospital, which was located just next to the to, to the main building of the hospital. Uh, for the moment, we know about at least uh, 30 people injured. Some of them uh, are in a serious condition. Uh, two people were confirmed uh, killed, and uh, three people are, for the moment, are confirmed uh, as missed. So uh, the the operation, the rescue operation, is still ongoing, and uh, for the moment, uh, we are waiting for updated uh, numbers from the official uh, from the officials uh, in the Dnieper region. Now, previously, Ukrainian anti-missile defenses have been very good. Uh, Just the other day, you told me they shot down 36 out of 36 drones coming in. Do we know why they weren't able to stop this? Uh, Well, uh, actually, um, air defense uh, remained not bad, and it remained not bad uh, for this attack as well, and uh, especially for, for the attack over the night. Uh, I will just give you the example. So over the night, it was an attack um, with 17 missiles and 31 drones. And um, 23 drones were destroyed and 10 missiles were destroyed. But this morning attack, unfortunately, well, uh, Ukraine, as uh, Ukrainian officials say that Ukraine uh, has a very good air defense uh system in general right now, but still, uh, it's not enough because Ukraine is quite big. And uh, unfortunately, well, such situations also happen, so our defense could not always be 100% successful. Even though the missile defense is operating at a very high percentage, that small percentage that does get through can cause lots of damage. Correct, especially if we're talking about direct heats uh, and uh, especially uh, if this is something that, well, sometimes such attacks uh, happen very quickly. Now, we know that Russia has been accused of targeting civilians in the past. They deny that. Have the Russian authorities said anything about this hospital? For the moment, um, I cannot confirm any official comments from Kremlin or from Russian authorities. Uh, let's wait uh, maybe for uh, for additional information coming from Russia. But unfortunately, as you again, as you correctly said, this is not the first time, and um, this is something that um, well, this is something that could be also considered as another war crime because hospital particularly is uh, is definitely not a target for no, not a war target, not a military target. So, Anna, you sound a little different today. You're clearly in a car on your way from someplace. Can you tell us where you just were? What did you see? 
Um, uh, yeah, I was just at the press conference with Senator Graham, who came to Kyiv uh, again at his third visit to Kyiv during the war. Uh, he met with Ukrainian officials, with uh, President Zelensky, and um, uh, during the press conference, he uh, well, he, he told some some interesting information. Uh, particularly, he was very positive about what he heard. Uh, um, in terms of the frontline updates from from Ukrainian officials and uh, certain future plans as well. Of course, he didn't mention any details, but uh, he uh, made it quite clear that um, he is very optimistic about what's uh, about the upcoming uh, uh, upcoming events at the front at, at the battlefield. Let's put it this way. And also, uh, and also, again, he said that. Uh, he is quite uh, impressed with what he heard in terms of the situation at the battlefield, uh, meaning that the, the the level of damages that Russian uh, forces uh, got um, during the battles in this past uh, past months, and um, certain uh, very optimistic um, uh, vibes were were quite clear from him, and he was not really hiding them. Uh, he said that uh, well, Ukraine is to uh, is to expect some some positive news. So let's see. But again, uh, we don't have uh, particular details because uh, this is something that he cannot he cannot tell uh, publicly. Okay, no doubt we'll have more information on that later. Anna Chernikova in Kiev. Anna, as always, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Steve. UNICEF says an estimated one and a half million Ukrainian children are at risk of depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, and other mental health issues with potentially long-lasting effects. The AP's Karen Chamas reports. In Lviv, near the border with Poland, Ukrainian children dance with adults trying to bring some joy in wartime. One of the kids playing, nine-year-old Andriy Hinkin, recalls the day their house was shelled in Ukraine's eastern Donetsk region. We ran out of the house, but everything was in a white fog. I was wounded right there. Then we didn't see Dad. When the fog lifted, he found his father on the porch motionless and covered in blood, after being struck by a Russian projectile. Their foster mother, Nina Polyakova, told the AP Andriy is usually calmer than his sister Olha, but that at night there are still bursts. Sometimes they are screaming. Hundreds of kids have been killed in Ukraine. For the survivors, the wide-ranging trauma is certain to leave psychological scars that will follow them into adolescence and adulthood. I'm Karen Chamas. More than one million people have started learning the Ukrainian language since last February. This, according to data from the language learning app Duolingo. They say interest in Ukrainian remains high, and the top three countries with the most learners of the language are the United States, Britain, and Poland. Correspondent Lisa Bakalets has this report from Warsaw. Every evening twice a week, Polish investment specialist Marlena Echinger attends Ukrainian language classes. Knowing English and Chinese, she now wants to learn the neighboring country's language. Marlena Echinger explains. Sometimes Polish and English is not enough to communicate, and I just wanted to, to get some basics just to say hi and and get to know the alphabet so that I can read emails at least and, 
and try to communicate better. The Ukrainian language class Echinger attends is the initiative of the Business Consulting Center for Ukrainians in Warsaw called DIA Business. They arrange several Polish-Ukrainian events and already have Polish classes for Ukrainians. Now they see an interest in Ukrainian from Poles. Victoria Bulgakova, DIA Business Coordinator, provides more details. It appeared just as Ukrainians need Polish, so Poles need Ukrainian. It helps to understand each other better and to communicate more effectively. We didn't expect the demand to be so high. This offline group started learning Ukrainian two months ago. Usually up to 10 people attend the course. They can already say some simple phrases in Ukrainian. Do you want coffee with milk or tea with lemon? Jerzy Wrzesinski is a professional translator. He knows Russian perfectly, but wants to avoid using it while talking to Ukrainians now. Jerzy Wrzesinski clarifies his point. I just want to get to know Ukrainian and talk to our guests in their language. Maybe, firstly, not so much talk because it's a long way to go, but at least understand them well. According to Wrzesinski, even for a professional translator, learning Ukrainian appears to take a lot of work. The Ukrainian teacher Oksana Pestrykova acknowledges that the Polish and Ukrainian languages have similarities, but that doesn't make the learning process much easier. Oksana Pestrykova explains. The languages are grammatically similar. You don't need to study 16 tense forms as in English. There are just three. Also, the Polish and Ukrainian languages share about 70% of the common vocabulary. But sometimes it makes studying harder, because many similar words mean something different in Ukrainian than in Polish. Pestrykova has two online groups which were launched by the non-profit organization Ukrainian House in Warsaw. She assures us that the interest in the Ukrainian language has risen since the war started more than a year ago. Students have different reasons. For instance, volunteers. Some are already familiar with the Ukrainian language by ear, but don't speak it. We also have two groups of Polish teachers with Ukrainian children at their schools. They want to get along with the children. According to the educational platform Duolingo, during the last year, Poland became the third country with the most learners of Ukrainian after the United States and United Kingdom. Cindy Blanco, a senior learning scientist at Duolingo, provides the details. 1.3 million people started studying the language uh, after that February invasion. For example, in the U.S., um, Ukrainian before the, the war began was uh, about ranked number 36. And after the war, it jumped 14 places. Russian, on the contrary, is losing its popularity according to the Duolingo data. In 2022, it was ranked number 9 globally. Now it has dropped to 11. Blanco notes the interest in Ukrainian has remained consistent in the 15 months since Russia's invasion of Ukraine began. Lesia Bakalets, VOA News, Warsaw. The traveling art exhibition Icons on Ammo Boxes has stopped in New York City in early May, features the work of Ukrainian artists Oleksandr Klemenko and Sonia Altanova. The two paint traditional Christian icons on real ammunition boxes from the Ukrainian front lines, symbolically portraying life overcoming death. Nina Vishneva has the story narrated for us today by Anna Rice. 
These 17 ammunition boxes have seen actual fighting on the front lines in Ukraine, and in May they were in New York City, part of an exhibit called Icons on Ammo Boxes. Ukrainians Alexander Klimenko and Sonia Atlantova created these pieces. Klimenko started working on the project in 2014, the same year Russia annexed Crimea. I asked the guys, what do you do with those afterwards? And they said they burned them. But I saw the box lid, and it amazed me how much it looked like a classical board used for painting icons. Klimenko couldn't come to New York for the exhibition, but he was happy to know the sales proceeds went to help the Pirogov First Volunteer Mobile Hospital, which provides medical care on the front lines of the war in Ukraine. A year ago I spent two months working at a hospital as a volunteer. I worked as a driver near Irpin in Bucha. I've seen and I know very well what it's like to save lives. The exhibition had both newly painted icons made by Klimenko and his wife, artist Sonia Atlantova, and some of their older works from private collections in U.S. museums. Curator Tatiana Borodina helped get all the icons together for the exhibition. People get tired of being compassionate. This really is a tough war, and it's tough to constantly be compassionate. But we need to awaken people, we need to show them the reality, the transformation of deadly boxes used for ammunition into such beautiful artifacts. Some of the boxes are charred. Some have bullet holes, some are chipped. They are a good reminder that the violence is real. These are the works I started while at the front lines, near Bakhmut. Right here, I created a collection of works I called Saints of the Front Lines. Here's the collection dedicated to Bucha, to Irpin. We've been working on them for a year now. The goal of the exhibition was not only to introduce New Yorkers to the icons, but also to sell some of them, to raise funds for the volunteer hospital in Ukraine. For Nina Vishnova in New York, NRI's VOA News. Now we take a look at a recent statement by Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. This is from Polygraph.info, a fact-checking website produced by Voice of America. It's a resource for verifying the increasing volume of disinformation and misinformation being distributed and shared globally. In an interview with the far-right Russian channel Zargorod TV, aired on May 17th, Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov claimed that Germany's current leaders have Nazi genes. When we look at the actions of the current German leaders, who are the children of World War II German officers and members of the SS, we have to say that many people in the current German administration have inherited Nazi genes. That, he suggested, explains Germany's support for Ukraine. Lavrov's claims are false as a matter of science and fail to accurately explain Germany's Ukraine policy. Lavrov's assertion about Nazi genes actually mirrors Nazi thought on how race and or ethnicity determine abstract human qualities like behavior. Known as eugenics, Nazi Germany used this ideology to justify the mass killing of selected peoples and legitimize racism. Scientists have widely discredited such beliefs. President Vladimir Putin and other Russian officials have also falsely claimed Ukraine was invaded to denazify it. 
However, there is no Nazi regime in Ukraine. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky was born to a Russian-speaking Jewish family. His great-grandfather and three great-uncles died in the Holocaust. And while Moscow claims to be protecting ethnic Russians in Ukraine, it is Russia that regularly uses eliminationist rhetoric against Ukrainians. For more fact-checking and information, visit polygraph.info. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage on Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day. Visit us online at voanews.com and on social media be sure to follow VOA News. On behalf of the entire Flashpoint Ukraine team, thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Karish. This is the voice of America. Washington, bam, 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 zip, D.C.